Hello and welcome to Civic Cipher. I am your host. My mother calls me Quentin Ward, but my friends call me Q. I appreciate you guys tuning in with me today. I have a esteemed, I think I'll say esteemed, try to try to push my boy's pedestal up because he deserves it. Uh, esteemed friend of mine, friend of the show, uh, and pioneer in the medical health and equipment industry uh, from, you know, friend of mine from Bowling Green State University, member Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, and area vice president of women's health sales for Natera, Mr. Michael Malone Jr. What's going on? Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you having me on tonight. Thank you for making some time for me, Mike. Um, you know, don't get to see my brother as often as I would like, but um, you know, glad he was able to, to take some time away from the family, tell them thank you for me, and apologize to them for me stealing you away on the night where you guys could be hanging out and relaxing. But I really thought that it was important for us to talk to people about your company and about what you do. So before we get into what you do specifically with relation to uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, tell us a little bit about Natera in general. Uh, in general, we help women have healthy pregnancies. So uh, we're a genetics company um, that looks at the fingerprint or of the DNA to see what is different between the baby and the mom to see if there's anything that's causing the baby to possibly have a chromosome abnormality. That's the basis of our business. And then of course, from there, we've expanded into oncology, cancer, uh, organ transplants, and uh, even to the point where uh, people have had losses, we can look to see possibly why. And do you guys work directly with clients or do you go through uh, healthcare providers or hospitals? How do you guys have that interaction from your company to expecting mothers? Most of our interaction happens with the physician. We're essentially the educator of the provider. So a lot of the information gets funneled through them to the patient, the same along with the feedback. So uh, it's our job to educate the physician so that the physician can educate uh, themselves on the best way to provide uh, the best care and treatment for their patients. Okay, so you guys teach the doctors and the, and the medical um, staff that they have about your technology and then they present that as an option for clients who are expecting mothers. Correct. Okay, how long have you been in this industry, Mike? Oh man, for the industry about 15 years. With this company, this is my 10th year. Okay. So I'm going and into my 10th year. How recent did you guys um, split off into those other areas outside of just prenatal? We would, uh, really the last two years. So we've been doing a lot of research and development. Uh, we kind of kept it secret for a while um, and then publicly announced it uh, two years ago for Signatera on oncology side. And then this year, or in 2020, uh, we announced our organ transplant. Okay, and you guys do this across the entire country? Uh, we're global, even um, overseas. Okay, so we're pretty so big overseas world. as well. And you are where are you located now, Mike? I live in Atlanta. Okay, so is are you are you specific to the East Coast? Are you do you personally get to travel, you know, around the country and around the world, or is it do you have an area that you're um, assigned to? 
Yeah, I, you know, I uh, I feel like I have one of the best jobs because I have the southern half of the United States. So, you know, my counterpart likes to joke with me and say I have the best and most expensive real estate and not the <laughs> coldest real estate. Um, and then the ongoing joke is where do you live or where are you staying at today? Right. Because I've moved throughout the southeast uh, ever since uh, I left Bowling Green. I kind of uh, stayed put mostly down in the south southeastern corridor. Uh, spent some time in South Florida, uh, currently live in Atlanta. It's my second stint back in Atlanta. I lived in South Carolina. My wife was in Mississippi, so kind of had different spots throughout the Southeast. Um, but luckily, my job, because I have half the country, I can essentially live anywhere uh, that I want to in the U.S. Uh, I don't have the opportunity to go overseas like I have volunteered to do, but <laughs> sure. uh, every time something comes up, I'm always trying to rub elbows with the people that are on the organ transplant side because they do a lot of traveling overseas. But okay. um, one of these days, hopefully I can take advantage of that. With with the choice of living anywhere, it's really interesting that you chose Atlanta, Georgia. That's kind of the, the epicenter <laughs> for people that look like us in this country. Um, did that have anything to do with why you picked Atlanta? No, man. Actually, uh, the interesting thing is when uh, I had when I met Cheyenne and we had more intimate conversations and we started dating. Um, the first time I actually met her, she was coming back from a family reunion from Atlanta. Okay. And that sparked so the conversation because my is this when this we were in BG. Okay. Yep. This is when we were still in BG. Uh, it's her senior year. She was about to graduate, and it was going into my junior year. And uh, we met at Uptown. She was coming up the steps. I'm sitting there chilling like, a, like I think I'm too cool, you know. And uh, we just kind of hit it off, had a conversation. She told me she just came back, you know, um, in the previous week from a family reunion. And we sparked our conversation got sparked because I was like, hey, you know, my cousin goes to Spelman. And what did you think about uh, Atlanta? And she would not stop talking about Atlanta. Wow. Um, and so luckily after college, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to play professional football and as I was going through that process just so happened to uh, land a contract down in, in Georgia um, it was initially with the Macon Knights and after you know things didn't work out stayed in stayed my butt in Atlanta because I liked the aura I loved the feel mm -hmm. like to see you know us black folks doing well and I and I remember telling my dad I said, you know, being down in Atlanta reminds me that nobody should have an excuse not to be able to make a little bit of money because everybody down here, especially the black folks, have found some way to monetize something mm -hmm. and that should keep everybody motivated. So that's why I really love uh, and that's what I love about being in this city, because you see young black folks doing, you know, some big things. You know, I actually forgot that you were in Macon because my mom's from Macon. So I forgot that you were right. down there. Um, you know, my family still has a, a restaurant downtown making it's a historic site now. Um, so if the next time I come to Atlanta, uh, hopefully this year, I can come and see you and the kids. I got to take you guys down there to get some food, man. Um, I want to speak to you a little bit about our show and why I felt like when you mentioned to me what you were doing, that it would be perfect to have you on. Um, Ramses, uh, who is my co-host and co-producer of the show, went on a cross-country road trip with me. We started in Tampa and drove back to Phoenix, but as you could imagine, we had to stop in Atlanta. And he's from Compton, California, and had never been to Georgia at all, but specifically Atlanta, and for all the reasons that you just named. We saw 
black doctors, black lawyers, black business owners. You know, you driving through really nice neighborhoods with really nice cars and all of the people were black and he never seen or experienced anything like that, Mike. So he was caught off guard in the best way, immediately start talking about, man, how do we figure out how to get back down here for something? Do we need to move the show down here? Do we need to move our families down here? Like this is just really, really different and similar to what you said, the aura just really, really rubbed off on him. Um, but Atlanta is a very, very unique black city in the South. Uh, I think people sometimes misinterpret that all of Georgia looks and feels like Atlanta. And that is kind of far from the truth. Um, so, you know, after a really tumultuous 2020, especially the, the summer, uh, the summer of George Floyd, uh, there was some tension that rose up in our country and really around the world and you know put a microscope on race relations police brutality racial injustice uh, and a lot of things that our people have been dealing with for a long time and we had this idea since we worked in radio that we should shine some light on things that are important specifically to black people so that was kind of the brainchild for this show um and i remember when i sent you the press release about the show and you read it when you messaged me and you sent me the information about what you were doing i was excited bro i was like you know i i really hope that we do have time to make this happen and soon because i think what you're doing is important so i just wanted to give you a, a little bit of, of scope and context as to why i thought it was so perfect and i think you did as well um so can you tell tell people a little bit about what it is that you're doing at natera with regards to inclusion and diversity yeah, you know, first of all, I want to commend you for, uh, you know, having this program to talk about that, because I think, you know, we've been suppressed too long to not have the voice as strong and as uh, as powerful as we can be to make a change. And I think that's what even, you know, for me, moving to Atlanta has showcased that even if you're a minority. And it's like, as you mentioned, it's very easy to forget, like you go even 20 miles outside of Atlanta radius. I mean, it's the redneck of the rednecks. Yeah. Uh, they act like they've never seen uh, a black person before. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I think, you know, when all that happened uh, with my organization that I'm with now, Natera, um, you know, I sat back because I wanted to see organically how they were going to respond. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to seem like it was forced. I didn't want it to seem like, uh, you know, it was a me too type of response. I would just, you know, lay back, just kind of waiting to see if, if somebody was going to approach me, how they were going to approach me, and as an organization, how are we going to respond? Now, before I kind of get into how we responded and why I was thinking that, I think it's very important to you, you know, executive leadership team. So these are the CEOs, the CFOs, the COOs, and all these C's, these C-suite individuals. Yeah. Um, you know, I have an opportunity to present to them all the time. And, you know, when you're on a Zoom and you're looking at the boxes of faces that don't represent how I think, how you think, wow. or what we've been through, right? But yet the community that we serve uh, mostly are uh, communities of color. And it's very interesting that, you know, sometimes some of the, the initiatives that we put in place don't necessarily take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. But I do got to commend the company, you know, even though that they don't have somebody of color or black, I should say, you know, sitting on the board, I do think that they do, uh, you know, respond to feedback very positively because we are an innovative company. 
and uh, it showcases in, in this organization of, that I've been able to find. So essentially, um, you know, I started getting those emails, started seeing, you know, Instagram, you know, different companies responding and showing support for Black Lives Matters. And then just out of the woodworks, like individuals within the company just reached out to me, like, can't believe the company's not doing this. What do you think of being silent? What does this mean? Just all kinds of different emails. And I was like, hey, you know what? Just let's just see how Natera handles it. And I had one of the executive leaders come to me, called me on, on the phone early in the morning. It was like eight o'clock East Coast time. So I know it was what, at least five, five something, you know, three hours back in LA, uh, the Bay Area is where we're uh, located. And, you know, the conversation was, hey, Mike, I feel really embarrassed to have to call you and ask you this, but I think it's my duty to at least, you know, get your insight. But I want to know from you, like given the situation that's, you know, that we have in our environment and Black Lives Matter, how can we help? How, what should we do? Can you help us get, you know, the support for our own individual uh, employees? Um, and, and start an organization so that we can support them in any way, uh, shape or form. Wow. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thrown back and, and they said that my name had come up a few times in, in the board meetings. And so I, I responded by saying, hey, you know, um, I'm more than happy to do this. As a matter of fact, I was waiting for you to or somebody uh, to, re to reach out to me to just ask me like what we thought, because we felt like nobody had reached out to any folk of color uh, to get their you know, opinion uh, or thoughts um, to see what they're emotionally you know, going through based on you know, everything that we're seeing in the news. And uh, he said, yeah, so tell me what, what we need to do. And I said, before I start anything, I, I really have to get your support that you're gonna give me full reign. Uh, I got full support, anything that we need um, to make sure that we support the individuals especially the black community in our organization uh, to continue to diversify our organization so that we can continue to be, you know, as powerful as I know we can be, I'm on board. But as soon as I feel like I'm being dictated or that, uh, you know, this is for show or a marketing ploy, I'll be the very first person out of here. And uh, they said, look, that is not going to happen. You got full reign. You name it what you want. I mean, they literally gave me the keys to the bins <laughs> and said, go drive and go do your thing. And so um, that's what I've been able to do. So we started, uh, you know, it's kind of a generic name. Uh, we call it Diversity and Inclusion Group uh, acronym DIG. Uh, but actually, it's become very catchy within the organization. Um, you know, we got... Uh, what, what can you dig in? Let's dig out, uh, digging forward, marching out, you know, so we have all these different plays on that particular word, which has been very catchy. And uh, so essentially, this group is really founded for two things. So one is to bring more visibility amongst us minorities uh, with the emphasis on the black individuals in our organization so that they can be uh, represented and have a voice so that they have an opportunity to continue to grow within the organization into leadership roles, right? I think, you know, uh, when you look at a lot of companies, the ground level or the entry level positions are historically or, you know, mostly minorities or even blacks. Um, but as you start going up the ladder, you start seeing less and less black folk. And so the main vision is to try to get more people of color, more minorities into these higher uh, positions. Uh, the second piece is that we really, and this is more so in the mission, 
um, without all the various jargon that we put into the mission, the basis is only a workplace. You know, we don't want people to be walking on eggshells uh, and feeling like, hey, you know, am I saying something that's racist? But I want you to be aware about what you're about to say, right? I want you to understand um, how, what I've been through. And, you know, I haven't been living through a privileged life and my life is not like yours, right? And I think the biggest thing that I've learned is like when people say, uh, I don't see color. Like to me, that's very irritating, right? Mm. Because if you don't see color, that means you don't understand there's a difference between what I've been through versus what you've been through, right? I, I get the concept that you're trying to treat everybody equal, but you can't treat everybody equal if they haven't been through the same process that you have been, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think it's about educating, you know, um, all of our, our people at the organization and especially starting from the higher ups down. And so I'm very proud to say that I have this big initiative and this training program that's already getting ready to launch next month. But um, that training program starts with the executive leadership team. Uh, and it's only geared towards them about what they're thinking, how they view things, what their perspectives are, and to get their feedback. And then from there, we're going to launch it company-wide. And this will be an ongoing program, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, beyond my time here at Matera. It's really interesting. You already spoke to something that I was going to ask you later um, about the pipeline to leadership. A lot of times, like you said, your, your ground level, your entry level positions will be people of color, will be black people, Hispanic people, but all of your executives are typically white. And even when it comes to hiring and training people for those higher level positions, a lot of times companies will reach outward and pull people in instead of reaching down and pulling people up. So I'm glad that you understood that it was important to have something in place to train, build, and empower people of color that are already in the company to move up into those, you know, higher level uh, management, middle management, executive positions. Um, I knew you before they reached out to you thought it was important to do what you're doing. Give us a, a little insight as to why you waited to let them present it to you instead of you presenting it to them and why you questioned or, or not questioned, but made it clear to them that you didn't want this to be something we were doing for public relations, but something that was authentic and genuine. Yeah, that's a really good point because because um, at first I didn't know. I think let me back up. I think all of us, when you're a minority in an organization, especially when you have uh, some people can look at it as power. Um, you can call it influence. Influence, um, sir. You know, so there. I think there's like different things that you. But when you're a minority in a certain position, what you say and what you do has a big impact on a lot of people. And not only that. Um, I was also trying to think about what I could do if something were to, if they felt otherwise, right? If the organization didn't agree with what I was going to stand for, I wanted to make sure I had a backup plan. Okay. So I was actually thinking about all of these things together. But the main thing that I really wanted to see, as I mentioned earlier, is I wanted it to be organic. I wanted them to be able to go to town hall without having anything or anyone come directly to them and answer some of the questions I knew was going to come at town hall. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to, uh, because I, I think it wasn't about like trying to say, I told you so, so or hmm, yeah, now, now what kind of thing? It was more about, you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. And I, I wanted it to be organic. I wanted them to feel 
inadequate in a certain area because a lot of times we're so focused in one specific, you know, dimension or division. Uh, you know, in this case, obviously women's health and, and genetics, but a lot, a lot of times we forget about investing in our own people that have helped us get to that particular point. Mm -hmm. um, and so the reason why I waited is because I was still trying to contemplate how I wanted to do things, how I was going to respond. And even if they didn't come to me, I still had a plan that I was going to do and leverage my influence amongst you know my, my people, our people, right? Um, and my organization that I have influence over. But I, I was just waiting back because I wanted to see who was going to, because I think those that didn't say anything, those that did say something at that point, and that those that haven't said anything since or that are now coming out, to me, tells the whole story about some of the things that I had already been thinking about. Uh, you know, tells the story about some of the things I didn't know. Now I'm, it's, you know, very clear. And some of the things that are being magnified. And the only person that can really change that is that person. Mm -hmm. And there's things that I can do to help. And I think, you know, with these training programs and, and these educational resources that we're providing can help in that respect. But, um, you know, I think ultimately I wanted it to be very organic. I wanted it to be genuine. I wanted people uh, to know that, you know, when I start this and had this movement, that it was truly coming from the heart. It was not coming from, you know, the CEO that was telling me to do this uh, or I was trying to force him to do something. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be uh, genuine and organic and grow and have some momentum around that. You know, you brought up something that I think a lot of people don't even consider, especially in a position that you're in. What if they don't feel the same way as I do with regard to minority inclusion, diversity, with regard to what's going on in our country right now. Like what if when they do finally say something, it's totally against my principles and, and, and what I stand for and that you were in a position where you had to consider, okay, what are my options if we're on the opposite side of this thing? Was there a sense of like, like an exhale when they did finally come to you and they, and they did express what you hoped that they would? Interesting, uh, you know, you bring up another good point. You know, I actually felt like there was a little bit more, uh, I hate to use the word pressure, because I feel like pressure is like, you get you know, pushed into something that you might not necessarily feel comfortable, or you feel like you're forced to do something that you really don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But I felt like there was a lot more weight added to my, to my back now. And why did I feel that is because we've never done anything like this in the organization. Um, they're counting on one person to have this vast majority of influence to make a change in certain individuals or the culture of the company that's been there for years, decades, right? And that now was put on me. And so, uh, and we're, you know, a market cap of over $10 billion. Right. So the, a lot of these things come with, you know, so, as I mentioned, some people could call it extra stress or pressure, but I welcomed it. I really wanted to take it on because I knew I was going to be able to make an impact. If it wasn't just in just one person's life, um, it was going to be well worth it. And so I was like, okay, fine. You know, now I got to develop all these resources. I got to make sure we have the funds. We, we got the right people in place and I need to build my infrastructure. Mind you, I got to do all this while still managing a sales team of over a hundred people. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> right? With the company goals as a, comp- a public company, um, you know, and make sure that the investors, you know, those that have equity are also being rewarded. So um, it was a it was a burden at, at the time, but it was something I was welcomed for, uh, welcome to do. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew that if I took the right steps like I have been throughout my life, um, I would meet the right people. Uh, you know, I always keep God first. So I was always had faith. I just knew just by genuinely being myself and doing the right thing, that things were going to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's been an amazing journey so far. And we just started this, you know, back in August. And the type of individuals that I've met, uh, especially, um, you know, minorities, black men, black women, uh, lesbian and gay individuals, you know, the Asian uh, community, like just everybody that I've met on this journey, uh, the vendors that I've been able to partner up with has just been amazing. And I think these type of networks um, that I've been able and relationships that I've been able to, uh, to develop shows how powerful we as a minority group can really be if we just stand together and mm-hmm. don't divide each other, you know, uh, don't fight against each other, but really, you know, embrace um, us, right? Diversity, essentially. And uh, I think that because I've been able to develop those relationships and they see my work ethic, I don't really think of twice about what, what would happen if I um, had to leave or, or, you know, from the Terra, because I don't think anything would change from the lifestyle or anything else that I've been able to do. But I think I would continue to still be able to make the impact and influence others and continue to motivate people to be the best that they can. You spoke about and everything that you just said is, is super important. Uh, a lot of the things that you're touching on are, are, are super inspiring too, Michael. So I'm really, really glad that even though it could have been a burden because you do already have so much on your plate that you still welcomed it, you still saw the value and you still thought it was important so that you pursued it anyway. You know, even though it added a lot to you, it was something that you welcomed because you knew how important it was. Um, but you mentioned earlier somebody, or not somebody specifically, but just the idea of someone not seeing color and, and wanting to treat people equal. But we all know treating people equal, treating people fairly, and treating people the same are not synonyms, right? You you know, a person, a person really, I think they think they're saying what's right when they say I don't see color because it's impossible not to. I think it's important to acknowledge that you do see color and to still treat a person right and fairly, even though you do. Um, When you're dealing with inclusion and diversity within a culture that already exists and inclusion and diversity in hiring, what are some of the challenges that you saw then that you've already seen some some growth or some progress from since you guys uh, started the DIG program? So I think we still have a long way to go, man. Um, You know, like this whole suppression and uh, racism, as they call it, systematic. There's a reason why they call it systematic is because it's built in either that individual's uh, way of thinking from their parents or the system that they grew up in, the community, you know, the, the village, if you will, right? So it's gonna take a while. And, but what I've seen um, is you know, previously to starting this um, organization, this group, there wasn't as much discussion about the lack of diversity. 
Um, you know, every now and then you would hear, you know, us black folks <laughs> talking amongst each other, you know, oh, you know, why, why don't we have more black people here? Why don't we have more Indians and so on and so forth. And, um, but now that we've kind of developed this employee resource group, a dig, like people are really um, expressing how they feel about all kinds of things uh, within the organization. Um, and you would never know that um, had we, I've been here again, almost 10 years. I've been, this is the first time I've seen all these people talk openly now about the various things that they want to see change. So I feel like that, if there was anything that showcases, you know, the, the baby steps that we're taking, you know, we had a big program last night and, you know, we had some people that really were um, engaged and interacting and again, very vocal about certain situations that they experienced that or certain perspectives they have about the company as well. And, um, you know, we, we recorded it and we're putting that on the internet so everybody in the company can hear and see it. And I know it's going to build some momentum because, you know, a lot of times uh, people get afraid of their, their job security um, and aren't vocal. And I think this is a platform where people can feel secure and safe and speak what's on their mind without any negative repercussions, um, you know, given that we're this, uh, this, the resource and the support group uh, dedicated for them. So I think that that is what's going to really start this culture of embracing diversity a little more. I think where we didn't also think more about, um, think about before and that we think more about now is even the individuals that we are that we have in our candidacy pool for various openings right i don't think that that was something consciously on their mind it was as you mentioned you know what i know this person i worked with this person bring them on at least yeah. that's what it appeared from the outside yeah. right um so they hired the people that they worked with or that looked like them for the most part um and i feel like now you know consciously people are really trying to have a diverse pool of candidates and uh, we're, we're also helping them in that capacity because I do have a couple of partnerships that I've already started, um, you know, that I've linked up with where we're going to be pulling candidates and internships and mentorships from the HBCU community. What you just touched on, I think is super important. I think in a lot of cases, nepotism is passive. And I mean that in a way where if I worked in your field as, as one of your close friends at this point, we're you know, 22 years friends at this point. If I worked in your field, it would just be top of mind. I do this. I know that that Quentin is good at this. Let me speak to him about a position that we have open. That's what I like to call passive nepotism. It's it's natural when you care about somebody, you respect them and you know they're good at their job. If you're in the same field, you look out for each other in that way. But then there is built into that systemic racism, a level of exclusion where you automatically disqualify some candidates, you know, based on things that have nothing to do with their talent or their resume and only to do with what they look like and how they speak. Um, in your case, I think it's important that as a person who works in leadership, that you've made employees feel supported and empowered to express themselves about concerns that they have. Because typically leadership leaves that to HR. You know what I mean? Like they just kind of push that off to human resources, let them deal with it. And we're going to continue to, to, to uphold the status quo. So I think it's important and necessary that not just yourself, but your leadership understood that that support and that empowerment 
was just as important so that the people on your team and within your organization can be honest about how they felt and the things that they needed without feeling like they would exclude themselves or put themselves in a position where their jobs were at risk somehow. So, you know, I'm glad that you touched on that because I think that's something that's, you know, excessively important. Um, and something interesting that you just mentioned about HR, um, as I mentioned, you know, it was announced in August that I was going to, you know, start this dig group. And from August until now, so September, October, November, December, about five months, I've been able to do more from the HR perspective than HR has done since I've been in the organization. Wow. From the diversity recruitment, from the partnerships to help get diversity can diverse candidates, um, to linking up with various individuals so that we can get more exposure. You know that more pe people are more likely to apply to a, a position in a company if they know the company. And uh, these various vendors that I spoke to um, that link up and partner with HBCUs, they didn't even know who Natera was. Wow. And you know why that's disappointing? Is the reason why it's very disappointing for me is because the entry level position, people can make over six, six figures, right? And for us as a black community not to be aware of that and think that we're, we have to be pigeonholed to be only in this sector uh, of, the, of certain industries to be able to hit six figures coming straight out of college or possibly even before you graduate. You know, again, it, it's the same systematic process of trying to keep us where we are instead of growing. Mm -hmm. And those things are eye-opening to me as I continue on with my research and encounters and building my relationship with various individuals uh, on this journey. And, you know, the other thing that sticks out to me too is I remember when I got promoted from the sales rep, we call them clinical field specialists, AKA CFSs. And um, when I got promoted to regional director, um, you know, the first thing I was tasked to do is essentially hire, hire some folks um, essentially to replace me because we were expanding. So it went from me going to manager and I need to hire five people. And you know, each one of, I'm, I'm like not even being conscious, I just wanted to have the best people on my team so we can work collaboratively to crush our goals. And you know, um, when you look back at it, I had a, a black woman, I had a white male, I had a white female, I had uh, another white female and a black male, all as my first uh, hires. And you know the comment that was made to me at the time, um, it was, are you trying to you know, have the most diverse team award? Are you trying to get the most diverse team award? Wow. I said, are you kidding me? I said, no, I'm gonna show you, we're gonna have the best team award. We're gonna be the MVP. And I don't care who's on my team. I'm picking the best people uh, based on you know, my interview process. And even, you know, at that case, some of them I didn't know. I had some background and some experience. But, you know, those type of comments, you know, you reflect back. At the time, it didn't really, like, it, it was interesting and, you know, didn't really hit home until I replayed it a few times. But, you know, that, those types of comments suggest certain things, right? And, again, that's like a, in a passive way, as you were just talking about. And um, I realized that now, you know, all these years, as I, you know, started moving up in, in my various roles, how different I've been thinking about diversity and inclusion versus my colleagues. And that's the reason why, uh, you know, not only in the last three years, I've been the best performing leader, but really the last seven years. 
Um, and not to mention, you know, before getting promoted, the top rep. And the, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because I think that's why diversity is very important. The, the reason diversity is you get experience levels, perspectives, um, skills, and responses so that we collectively can be powerful. And that's why we've been great. And I've inherited other teams that are all vanilla. When I say vanilla, I'm not saying most like mostly white. It's just the same. Like that team is the same as that team is that team. And they all were hired by, you know, a same, you know, one individual. And it shows why they've been where they are, right? That why they're stuck where they are is because they have no diversity. They have no different viewpoint or perspective to help us get to the next level. And so that's why I think that this is important because as an organization, I think it's gonna make us a lot more effective and efficient and a hell of a lot more productive because everybody's gonna learn from one another. Yeah, I remember 1999 when we first visited Bowling Green and I remember meeting your dad and your dad might not remember this, you might not remember this, but the one simple thing that he said to me because we hadn't decided we were going there yet. And I think we were kind of, I think you, me, Pinch, and I think Jeremy, not Jared, but Jeremy, <laughs> we're, we're kind of looking at each other like, yo, if you come, I'm gonna come. And if you come, I'm gonna come kind of thing. And your dad said something to me that was very, very simple, but that I never forgot. And it was just simply, if you guys come here, look out for each other. Like he said it, and he said it with the, the tone and the attitude he said it with was very serious. It wasn't like some like flaccid comment to just throw out there as some random dad advice. He said it to us like it was important. You know what I mean? Like it is it is vital that if you guys come here together that you make it your business to look out for each other. And I don't think he knew that, you know, 20 years later we would still not just be in touch but you know, be the best of friends. Coming from where we come from, Michael and you know, being a part of a really good group of guys playing football, a really great group of guys in our fraternity, moving on as educated men from, you know, college students to working professionals. I know you experience this because I do, where people kind of assume your background is way different than what it actually is. We're from Detroit, Michigan and Portsmouth. We're not from <laughs> Beverly Hills and Bel Air. You know what I mean? But sometimes when you present yourself well, you're articulate, you're professional, people assume that you've been coddled and you come from this silver spoon background and that life has been, um, you know, a privilege for you. Not understanding that not only did you have to work super hard, but you had to overcome to get where you are. Do you ever encounter colleagues that make that mistake of thinking that your background is way different than what it actually is? Oh yeah. So the interesting story around that is one, as we continue to expand, uh, we had uh, somebody, one of the reps that was covering Portsmouth, Ohio as part of their territory. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they found out I was from Portsmouth. You know that I got a text message. It was like, hold on. Are you from this Portsmouth? <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, it was one of those areas that uh, she didn't really go to much because it was high Medicaid, you know, it, it, it was, it looks like a ran down because it was a uh, heavy metal industry, right? right? A lot of the stuff got moved from Portland, Ohio up to uh, Pittsburgh and to Detroit yeah. back then. And so um, it, she was like, 
this is where you're from and it's it's other than a small pocket there's not really that many you know black folks either and uh, i was like yep he probably drove right by my high school portsmouth high school is where where i went and uh she was just completely caught off guard because you know most of the time when people see me i'm in my you know nice suit got the tie on uh other than now in covid i usually have a nice little <laughs> shape up going <laughs> You know, I look like I spent a little bit of money on my grooming, but um, but they, they just couldn't understand. And also the way that I speak, you know, uh, a lot of times when we do have various, you know, not only company meetings, but if we're uh, talking to a vendor, you know, a lot of times I'll keep the camera off just because I, it's interesting how when I end up turning the camera on 10, 15 minutes later into the conversation, to see their faces because they just did not expect to see mm -hmm. uh, a brother, you know, talking to them uh, and asking, you know, certain questions that I, I may be asking. So let alone be in genetics and then talking the lingo uh, like a genetic counselor. So it's, it's very interesting how that you get these assumptions um, just because either the way you speak, the way you walk or even the color of your skin and some, a lot of times even where you consider home, your hometown. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes us us, right? Like this, if I didn't go through all of that, like I'm not embarrassed. I'm not, you know, shy to say where I came from. I'm not going to continue to embellish it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's the best thing that, you know, that happened to me, but I grew from it. I learned from it. And, um, you know, that's why I've been able to, to be able to get to where I am now. It's incredible. And I knew that specifically the way that you speak and the way that you articulate would be the key reason why people would misjudge you immediately and it's it's really cool to have as much time as I've had you know with you as a friend and as a brother knowing where we come from and where we are now and I almost laughed when I asked you because I'm like I go through this so I know for sure Mike <laughs> goes through you know people completely misrepresenting their idea of where they think he started and, and, and what they think his background is like. Um, you spoke earlier about HBCUs and about students that come from those universities having never heard of the company. What are some of the initi um, initiatives that you guys are trying to put in place to change that? Because like you said, people will never apply to a company if they don't even know that the industry, the company, or the positions exist. Yeah, very good question. I, I want to um, showcase the company because we, you know, a lot of people know that they can make a lot of money in tech and we are essentially a technology company. We are we're based in the Silicon Valley the, um, in the Bay Area, uh, but we happen to leverage our technology in the diagnostics world or in my case, women's health and genetics. And what I want to be able to do is showcase our organization as a Matera as a place where people can come, feel welcome, um, and learn and grow and make a lot of money while doing that. And, you know, the, we partnered up with HBCU 20 by 20, who uh, is embedded with all of the HBCUs throughout the country. Um, and we're going to have some webinars to showcase our organization. Uh, they've asked me, you know, to sit on some of their conferences where they talk about leadership and what does it take to get to certain positions, VP levels and above, uh, which I'm very excited and, and honored to be part of. But I think, you know, these are some of the things that um, I want to be able to highlight, you know, for 
others so that they don't have to feel like I have to be an athlete to, to make six or seven or eight figures. Um, I have to, you know, start here, you know, going door to door selling, you know, what magazines or whatever the case of vacuum cleaners uh, to eventually get the opportunity. I want people to know straight out of college, there are some opportunities out there that uh, you just have to do a little bit of research. And I think it's our job to try to showcase our organization and show that we are welcoming uh, diverse candidates into our organization um, because, you know, we're, we're just continue to take off and continue to expand, especially, you know, in this environment of COVID, uh, we've been doing massive hirings and yet people in the HBCUs and, and the alumni, other than the ones that I know that, you know, that we've been talking to, you know, mm-hmm. we've been able to bring on board and uh, we need to have, you know, more visibility amongst all of our folks so that we can continue to be as powerful, uh, you know, powerful uh, as we possibly can as an organization and as a community. If you are just tuning in, this is Civic Cipher. I am your host, Q Ward. I have my esteemed guest from Natera, Mr. Michael Malone Jr. Um, man, I hate if you're just tuning in because you've missed a lot of really good information. <laughs> but you know, we are available on all your platforms, Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Play, um, and, a, and a bunch of your, your local FM platforms as well. Um, Michael and I have been speaking about diversity and inclusion, uh, specifically in the medical and tech fields and why those things are important. Uh, so again, if you're just tuning in, um, we still got a little bit for you. Uh, follow us at Civic Cipher on Twitter and Instagram civiccipher.com you can get any information that you need about the show you can get past shows Uh, visit us on YouTube as well so you get to this position where it is important to you that diversity and inclusion uh, be as important to you as they are the company you work for they bring you this opportunity where they've now put you in a position where you are able to influence the lives and, and careers of people that come from very, very diverse backgrounds. It felt like pressure at one point. You understood though that it was a privilege. You're a few months into it now. It's starting to grow wings. It's starting to take the shape that you wanted. Is it something that you look back now and you're like, wow, we did that? Or or do you know that you still have so much further to go? I always reflect back and I'm like, not only why we did that, but damn, how did, how did we do that? You know, given all the constraints and the timelines that, you know, we were trying to push everything into, um, even back when I was playing football, pledging, <laughs> military, you know, it's like all these things. I look back, I'm like, how did I do that? And I think all that built me to be able to handle and showcase myself here. And I think what uh, the biggest thing that um, you know, I'm proud to say is, look, we as a minor, the minorities in the organization have helped me launch this program that we've never had. You know, what's interesting too is like, you know, when you work in the corporate world, every year you have compliance training. Every year you have a, a sexual harassment training. Every year you have a, a national or global sales meeting and then there's training there. But give me one instance where you've had a mandatory diversity training, even just one time a year. I know we don't have enough time to wait, 
But I'll tell you, not too many people have it. Let alone most com companies, they might have it as an option. It's not Almost mandatory. Never. Almost right. Never. And so, to be able to have a mandatory diversity type of program, and the reason why I like the diversity like titles because it can be we can maneuver based on the environment, the situation, and the culture, etc. To you know cater to a certain situation, um, but like we have the opportunity to start with a mandate, a mandate of training with the executive level um, team, and then mandated to the rest of the company. And to me, that's amazing that we're we're, we're able to to do something like that, um, starting from scratch, like with nothing, no foundation. I've never had it ever. And, you know, the, the CEO uh, mentioned it, like he's embarrassed to even say that there was no, not even an optional training, right? Um, wow. That we had to, to discuss, uh, you know, leadership, or I'm sorry, diversity amongst the, even the leadership team, right? So like, no wonder why certain teams look the way they do, because we like to call it unconscious bias. Like they're biased towards what they know, right? And who they know. Um, thinking that they're doing the right thing because nobody has ever told them really that they were wrong. And uh, it's not that they were wrong, it's just that they were feeding into the same systematic process over and over and over, right? And I think, you know, I have a problem when somebody says that it's not the system that's causing racism. Like, I can go on and on and talk about that, but, um, but we know that certain things are built in because certain people are either threatened or they want to stay at the top. We know that. Uh, and the crazy thing is that we, as a black community, have more power than we give our credit, uh, give ourselves credit for. And we could definitely do a lot more if we all collectively work together. And I think that's what we've showcased here, um, you know, at at Dig at Natera, because my whole, my team is diverse, Latinos, you know, women. Gay men, gay women, it's, it's very diverse. And you talk about the power that we have uh, on some of the things we've been able to move in just in the last five months. It's just been extraordinary. It's so incredibly important listening to you describe your team that we support one another. And that's the thing that you touched on that I think is so important that you have this very diverse group that understands the power of, of unity and of understanding having empathy for and support for each other's struggles because all, all of our struggles aren't the same but they are all very real and to accept and respect the struggles that others have to deal with and, and, to, and to be able to support each other in that way i think adds to what you said with regards to the power that we have when we're together um i've been having conversations i think even if it wasn't our last show the show before that uh where there was a prominent articulate educated black man on a cable TV news show saying that uh, diversity training was counterproductive, that systemic racism didn't exist. And, and speaking for all black people, he said that black people were tired of, of being the subject of diversity training and being looked at as victims and all this stuff. And it's just like, man, we, we misplace our pride sometimes. Cause I think this, I think this man was attempting to appear, you know, proud. I don't need your sympathy and I don't need your, you know what I mean? I don't need you to feel sorry for, and there's no such thing as white privilege and there's no such thing as systemic racism. And 
you know, companies need to do away with diversity training because it adds to the racism. And it's like, we have to educate ourselves more. We have to educate and help and support each other more. Um, have you had any instances where you had kind of that counterculture presented to not tear down, but be against what it is that you're trying to do? You know, right now it hasn't been brought to my attention in that fashion where it's been like blatant, I should say. Uh, but I think those that, as I was mentioning before, those that haven't responded, not that I'm expecting everybody to send me email, text, phone call, to pat me on the back. But I think that says a lot about an individual's character of what, mm -hmm. you know, what you say and what you don't say. Um, you know, people that are appearing or not appearing on some of the events, you know, people that are providing feedback or not providing feedback. Um, you, you can, you know, you have a feeling of certain individuals that are looking for you to fail, um, not merely because they're jealous and they feel like they're competing against you as an individual, but because you're black, because you're, you know, Latino, because you're, uh, you know, gay, whatever the case may be, right? And it shouldn't be like that. And, and the reason I disagree with, you know, what that individual was saying that you were mentioning, and I'm not going to give credit to the person's name, but... Exactly. I said it before. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> the reason why I disagree with that, man, is because it's not just a psyche of an individual feeling like they're being, that somebody being racist towards them. It's that physical act of somebody doing something or verbally saying something to somebody that's racist. Mm -hmm. You know, they may not necessarily know it or sometimes they do, but the, the reason why I, I call it systematic. Now what people have their own version of what systematic means, but at the end of the day, the system means it's a process. There's a start and then there's a beginning. Somebody had to do, do some teaching, right? And that's why we have even the, you know, a reform that we're trying to do with even the, um, the uh, criminal justice system, right? Because there's a system that's in place that kind of outlines and targets mostly black people, mm -hmm. right? And I don't care what you want to say or how you just go to your local jail or prison in that area. And you're going to easily see that the population is mostly black and Latinos. Uh, and most of them are because of petty crimes that they probably shouldn't even be locked up, you know, for what they did. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole different topic in conversation. I, I just think that, you know, when people make comments like that, it, especially when they are supposed to be very intelligent, I feel like is that a, a marketing ploy to try to get more, you know, visibility or, or of some sort? Because there's not one black person that has at one point felt like they're, they've been treated racist or unfair um, because of the, just merely because of the color of their skin. And if anybody feels that way, then I, that per, to me, that person is a liar. Unless they've been incredibly sheltered, you know, never left their, their hometown or their neighborhood and only been around their family and people that look like them, you'd have an impossible time trying to convince me, you know, that, that you've never experienced any type of inkling of being treated differently, viewed differently, looked at differently. Like the first time I got on the shuttle at Bowling Green, it was very, very clear that there were some people on there that had never seen anybody that looked like us before. Um, and 
you know when i got into my black studies class i had a classmate who was from bg who had actually never seen a black person in real life before and he expressed that we were in dr jack taylor's class and he expressed that to me and our first conversations were really contentious and not cool we ended up being really cool by the end of it but he was sincerely ignorant of some things and would say some things out loud in class where you would just be like dude you couldn't have just said that out loud um so like you said mike we could talk about this stuff for five more hours but you know i don't want to keep you from the family for too long um if people want to learn more about what you're doing or support in any way where are some places they can go find some more information and and, and be supportive of the cause that you guys are, are are pushing forward yeah, so we uh, we do have a Facebook, you know, Natera.com uh, is our website for the company. Um, we do try to have some different social uh, postings on Facebook. You know, a lot of the things that I'm doing now is mostly for the employees internally, uh, but we will showcase like external speakers that are coming in to motivate or, you know, provide their perspective. I think we're also, well, not think, I know we're also on LinkedIn. Uh, look forward to Natera Inc. on LinkedIn and you know definitely follow us because uh, we always have some really exciting news that's coming out with the technology that we have that's proprietary only to us. Uh, and on top of that, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do, as I mentioned, the vision was to showcase our employees of color. And um, we are going to be posting, you know, different individuals throughout the company. Uh, on our Instagram or on our at least Facebook and uh, LinkedIn, some of the partnerships that we have, especially with the HBCUs um, and that community, uh, they'll be posted uh, on both Facebook and on LinkedIn. Uh, but by all means, please continue to follow. We're, we're, we're a public company, so you can see us on the stocks as our stocks continue to rise. And I think it's going to rise even more as we become more diverse and embrace diversity um, and inclusion. Um, for the years to come. So it's a very exciting time for, for me and for the organization, I think. It means the world to me that you were able to take some time away from the family and make some time to talk with me, Mike. Um, I'm super proud of you, brother, and the things that you are doing within the Terra and within the community are super important. They're vital. I'm glad that you saw the value in it, that you saw that pressure and that responsibility as, as necessary and that you took that on your shoulders. And um, please keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, for everybody that tuned in, we appreciate you tuning in to Civic Cipher. Again, I'm your host, Q Ward. Uh, check us out, civiccipher.com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Civic Cipher. There are ways to donate and give back and support the show. Uh, you guys are, are our lifeline. We do this for our community. Uh, we are funded and, and, and upheld by the community as well. Until next time, peace.